those things like your daughter's birthday is messed up and your kids weddings they feel uncomfortable because mom and dad are both going to be there and that was where my issues really came in i was like okay i understood that divorce might be a part of my life but i don't want this version of divorce to be a part of my life i do not want this for myself or for my daughter or for steve i don't want it for any of us so that was where i really had to change my thinking about divorce and realize i've done this my whole life of live the life i want to live and show up how i want to show up why is this any different it's not and so steve and i had a lot of conversations i said it's fine if you leave me i knew this was a possibility i can't deny that like hold you completely accountable for you leaving but this is how it's going to look i said we we are going to create this type of relationship and he came back at it as just like so grateful of thank you i appreciate this i really want to make this work Something that we don't talk enough about in the church is about divorce and about marriages that go awry. Uh, There's a lot of stigma around these things, and I know in the next couple of episodes, this week and also next week's episode, we'll talk a little bit about it. They're two very different conversations about it, and um, I just want to say to all of you who uh, are listening to this, thank you. Thank you for your input in letting us know what we need to talk more about, and when we do an episode that knocks it out of the park, thank you for uh, letting us know about it. You can always email us, contact at theculturalhall.com. And we are still trying to make that push towards 300 reviews uh, on Apple Podcasts by our 500th episode. So if you've not done that yet, you listen and you think, oh man, I'm going to do that. We're about 13 away as of this recording. Take a moment. It doesn't take but just a second to say, hey, this is great. I really appreciate this episode or every episode is so thought provoking or, you know, whatever you want to do. You can do that Apple Podcasts for the Cultural Hall. And uh, if you, you know, you have guest suggestions, we will always take them. Contact at theculturalhall.com. Helps make the show better. Even if you just want us to, um, you know, explore getting a guest. There's someone that you haven't heard or or maybe it very well could be that uh, we've had that guest before, but maybe you weren't listening yet. All the things, it's all welcome. Contact at theculturalhall.com. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. Oh, get excited. This is a happy one. We're talking about divorce. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Before you turn off whatever you're listening to, uh, we're going to talk about divorce and relationships and building connectivity. Uh, we're going to find a great story uh, from my guest today, Jessica Fru, host of the Husband-in-Law podcast. We'll also find out what in the world a husband-in-law is, but what that is right there is a tease. We'll get to that later. Jessica, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I, you know, feel good. Feeling pretty good. Uh, for those that are Patreon Saints of the Cultural Hall, uh, they can see that I'm rocking lamb chops. This will be the only uh, photographic proof that I ever had these ever. I have to be clean shaven next week, so I'm doing a little bit of an experiment. Crushing it. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, you shaved head. That's a, that is a yes. bold move. That tells me a lot about you <laughs> without even knowing anything about you. Let's start there. Well, I've been wanting to shave my head for a few years. Okay. And... Then we went into quarantine and my husband's like, Jess, if you're going to do it, do it now. If you hate it, you don't have to see anybody. If you love it, you can keep it. And it's like, all right. So this was my birthday present to myself. Shave my hair all off. And did you do it yourself? I did do it myself. I decided that I would probably chicken out if I didn't just do it. What What's that experience like? I, I, I imagine, so like I've done it, but as a dude, I think it's an entirely different experience for a dude to shave his head than for, for a woman. Yeah. Um, it was a little freaky when I first did it, but then I have loved it. it. I kind of wanted to toy with this idea that hair on women is like an identifying feature. You know, uh-huh. like you're saying, guys can kind of shave their heads right. and no big thing. Um, but women, it it's, a big deal. Like hair is a big thing. And I wanted to see how I felt about myself if I eliminated like that, that aspect. Yeah. And it's kind of been a powerful experience. I, and my daughter's like, are you going to grow up back out? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) I'm giving it the summer and then I'm going to decide. Well, and from an, uh, from an ease of use thing, I think that's the thing that like guys who are starting to lose their hair at some point, they're just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend anymore. Way easier to be shaven. But the amount of time 
uh, you know, just anecdotally that I know from having two different wives, I know that the amount of time spent on hair is crazy. Yeah. And I've always had shorter hair. And so it's pretty low maintenance anyways, Uh but man, it's pretty awesome to not have to even think about it at all. Uh, It's an unfortunate thing in society though, that some people there's like stigma around it. Like, Oh, for sure. Talk about that a little bit. I've been interested going like going back to church, how it'll be received or if anybody will say anything, but people are pretty used to me being a little extreme anyways. Mm-hmm. And I, that's not my intention. That's just who I am. Right. Uh, and in a conservative community that sometimes gets viewed as like an open rebellion or something, but it's just my personality. And, but nobody's, I mean, people have asked and like, why'd you do that? But nobody is really said anything negative. Um, I get asked a lot what my husband thinks. And I'm like, I don't really care, yeah. first of all. <laughs> what an and then odd... secondly, yeah. he helped me touch it all up when I was done. So obviously he doesn't really care. <laughs> yeah. Well, and your husband knows you probably more than anyone is like, listen, this yeah. I, knew, I knew what I was getting, <laughs> yeah. you know, as far as that goes. But interesting. I don't know that I mean, maybe you would get that uh, vice versa, right? If your husband shaved his head and had a full head of yeah. hair, people may ask you, you know, what do you like it? Or, you know, yeah. what does your wife think? Yeah, I think you get asked. It's just a, you know, it's somebody you care about and that's close to you. So their opinion matters to a point. But, yeah. yeah, but not. Um, yeah, yeah. He has started, my husband started growing his hair out during all of this. And he said he's going to get a perm. So we'll see if that happens, (laughs) which is very extreme for him. He's never had, I mean, his hair has been exactly the same since he was probably eight years old. So, well, I want to, I want, I'm going to urge you guys to take it to a completely uh, just extreme level to use your word. I want him to uh, grow his hair out continually. I want you Uh to keep shaving your head and then Uh I want him to shave his head, make a wig and allow you to have a wig of your husband's <laughs> hair. Like there is never two become one more than that situation. It's only a little disturbing. Yeah, I mean, just, <laughs> it's just a little. It's just a little disturbing. But it's an idea. Yeah, I, yeah, it is an idea. I appreciate you <laughs> pointing out that 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 is in fact an idea. You mentioned that uh, that uh, some would maybe consider you extreme. What do you mean by that? I have always just had a, I'd say, bold personality where. I know who I am and I know what I want and I don't really feed into what others think I should look like or appear like um, and just kind of dress my own way, did my own thing. Whatever made me happy is how I showed up to life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's always been a good thing. I think it's created a space for others to feel like it's okay to be themselves as well. Uh-huh. And I always had love and support through all of that. Um, I mean, my hair starting in high school just always changed different colors and they were like normal colors. It's only as an adult that I've started doing like randomly, it'll be pink or blue or whatever for the summer. But I just believe that I was created to be who I am and to show up in the personality, like exactly how Heavenly Father created me. And so I've always done that. It's been how I am. Yeah, Um, it's It's an interesting thing. And just so you know, I mean, we don't know each other really off the mics at all, uh, but I mean, you're talking to a guy who used to wear like a um, a, a corduroy suit to church with his long yes. hair down past his shoulders and a, ra- a rainbow vest that his uncle used when he used to work at the Hilton Hotel and yeah. like size 18 red shoes to school because I was like, eh, why not? So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Sa- same drum. We're marching to the yeah. to the beat of that same drum. You create your own path. And it's not even that it's your own path. It's just that a lot of people don't have the courage to step into who they are. And if they, I mean, it's not right or wrong or anywhere across the board. It's just who I am. Um, And I've always loved it. So I want to ask you something about that. And this is maybe more telling about me. Do you also feel like a little bit of it was a front because you were trying to figure out who you are, like distract with the outward things? Because inward, you're like, I have no idea. And if people really see how much I don't have an idea... (laughs) then they'll start asking questions. So I need to distract with everything outer. You know, what's interesting for me is it wasn't that. Okay. And I think I, it wasn't, that, it wasn't me. Yeah. I, I mean, it wasn't me either. I just was, uh, I mean, uh, hypothetically speaking is what I was saying. But I think there's a lot of that in exploring who you are trying mm-hmm. to figure that out. And for, and you watch that as you grow up in junior high and high school, especially, and even into adulthood, you see people still struggling to figure that out. 
but no, for me, it's just always been, I know who I am. I am confident in understanding who I am and what I want. And this is it. So, you know, I have to apologize. Every time you say, I know who I am, I expect the next line of you to say, I know God's plan of all of him. And it's it's distracting. We could bust that out. It's a disease. I have that disease. When people say things in certain cadences that remind me of songs, I'm gone. You're telling me something yeah, completely yeah. deep about yourself. And I'm like, I'll follow him in faith. Just, I do that a lot too, quite honestly. You mentioned your uh, middle school, high school growing up. Where did that take place? So in Pocatello, Idaho. Okay. So small town. Um, and that's mostly where I grew up and yeah. super open to someone, you know, dyeing their hair and having short hair yeah. and, and pushing yeah. against, you know, social norms. I bet that was an easy totally. lifestyle. You know, honestly, it's, it's funny to me because in my ward and in the church and stuff, it was fine. Like people were so loving and just encouraged me to be who I am and supported that. And it was actually in school and with my peers that it was more, an issue, I would say, amongst the supposed, you know, conservative LDS kids mm -hmm. who I knew were doing things that I wouldn't do. Like there was this large group of kids that thought I was this rebel and doing all these bad things when really I was a very straight edge Mormon in junior high and high school and always have been mm -hmm. um, where my friends are out there or these kids that were the supposed good kids were doing things that I never would have considered doing. Mm -hmm. And so it was just an interesting dynamic. And, and therefore I didn't hang out with a lot of people because I just didn't want to. Yeah. I had a lot of friends, a lot of friends, but I just didn't see the drive. I didn't want to go hang out at the parties every weekend. I was at a couple of them, but drunk people didn't do much for me. Right. <laughs> and then, and then the good kids are, doing basically the same things, but trying to hide it. And right. I just was like, I'm not, this isn't my scene. I'd rather go on dates and be at home with my mom hanging out, quite honestly. Yeah. Because it just wasn't my jam. So you alluded to it, uh, things like drinking, probably drugs, some some level yeah. of, oh, uh, yeah. of promiscuity. <laughs> I saw it all. Yeah. I just watched everybody else and was like, yeah, this doesn't look that fun. <laughs> you guys are a mess. You are throwing up a lot. That seems, yeah. you, you yeah. sure tried to sell me that that was a good time, but the way that <laughs> looks right now does not look so much a good time. Yeah. And then waking up the next morning and I'm not remembering, you know, what they did the night before. And I was like, yeah, that's not my, yeah. I don't, I don't need that. So uh, you decide uh, once you get out of high school, what, out of Pocatello? Forget it. We're going to a, the big city. The big city. I So I stayed for college. Okay. Um, and that's actually where I met my first husband. Okay. What what um, what college? University? Is there a thing in Pocatello? Idaho so, State. Okay. Idaho State University. The, the Vandals, right? Yeah. 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 That's a mascot. <laughs> oh, wait. No. No. Who was our mascot? It's, I don't even remember. Vandals or Northern Idaho? Okay, okay. Bengals. We're the Bengals. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> the, the Bengal Tigers that are known to yeah. be prowling uh, Pocatello area. Sure, oh, yeah. of course, yes. Uh huh. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and studying what? What did you decide you were going to study? So I started out as a vocal performance major, and about two and a half years in, I was like, this is not for me. I was starting to hate singing and I was like, I don't want to take something I love and destroy it. And so I switched to a family and consumer science major, which is home ec. Sure. And I loved it. Really? So fun. Yes. Really? Um, and it's funny because I never even realized that was like something you could get a degree in and then randomly realized that has like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you meet your first husband. What's that like meeting him and then? How old were you? Uh, obviously, you get married because he's your husband. Let's let's walk yeah. through that. So we were, well, I was 20, 19, I guess, when I met him. And he had come to a choir concert to watch one of my friends, actually. And he walked in with a whole bunch of girls. He's just in this line of chicks. I watch them sit down in front of me. And then they run out of room on the row. Mm -hmm. And so he has to come <laughs> sit by me. So he's sitting by me and... I guess he had seen me before I walked by his house almost every day to go to school mm -hmm. and he had seen me in the language lab as too. And, and so when he sat down next to me, he had already kind of known 
that he might be interested. Yeah. And just started talking to me, got my phone number. We went out the next day and we were together every day after that as much as we could. How long did it take so, you to get married? We met in February and we got married end of December. Yeah, you so, did. Yeah, you yeah. did. <laughs> yeah. That is the way to do it. If you can claim under a year, that is the way to do it. <laughs> so what was it like? I mean, we, we've talked about how this episode is going to be about connection and, and finding our way through divorce. What was it? What, what was the marriage like? How long were you married for? So we were married for a total of seven years. Okay. And it was actually a very good marriage. We really were perfect for each other. And uh, I really felt that going into it. He brought up just a few days before we got married that he struggled with pornography and all of those things and had from a young age. Uh And at that time, you know, that was a struggle because he was active in the church. And those are things that you don't do. Right. And, and it does bring, I mean, pornography just does bring issues into any relationship, I feel like, but that's my own personal opinion. Sure. And an an episode for a different time. Yeah, Yeah. really. Yeah. In and of itself, for sure. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a hot topic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we, um, get married and and knowing that going into the marriage i still felt very confident that this was who i was supposed to be with then well, about six let me let me pause right real quick there uh though it was just a few days before you got married that he told you was there any yeah. sort of like i don't know if i can do this why would he wait so long sort of betrayal like oh my gosh this has been going on this whole time and he hasn't been completely honest are there things that he's not being honest with me about you know, I think what my feelings were is that he was being honest with me and that it took him a lot of courage to yeah. tell me that. Yeah. And so I trusted him. Uh-huh. And I think that created a level of trust in our marriage from the beginning. I didn't, I mean, I, I, I was aware that there's probably more uh, and that there would be issues and, you know, it might, it would be hard, but yeah. that didn't it didn't keep me from marrying him or from having a good relationship. Knew that you loved him and knew that because you loved each other and because he was willing to be that honest and open, that likely Mm -hmm. there would be a way that you could figure your way through it. I think that might be actually a good place to take a break. Let's come back in the second block and we'll talk about what that marriage was like. And then obviously at at some point, if we're going to talk about divorce, that marriage did not continue to work as such. And so we'll get into that uh, coming back in the second block of the cultural hall. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Time for the second block of the Cultural Hall. Do me a favor. Do me a solid, why don't you? Hop on to uh, Patreon.com slash The Cultural Hall. Now, several of you are already Patreon saints, and thank you so much. It allows me, I talk about how that uh, money allows me to do things like buy chairs and video cameras and microphones. But I've never really talked about how that allows me the opportunity to actually just do something I love and meet cool people like today's guests. So maybe the idea of buying a chair for our studio or, you know, paying the power bill doesn't excite you. But you think, oh, I like him. I like what he does. So do me a solid. And I'm going to ask you to do this. Patreon.com slash The Cultural Hall. You don't even have to make the donation yet. Just go to the site. Check it out. Poke around a little bit, won't you? You can be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group if you do so. Uh, and then I'll mention you here on the show. Uh, check it out. Patreon.com slash The Cultural Hall. Jessica, uh, so, so it was great until it wasn't, it sounds like. Yeah. And we had great, well, we had a good marriage up until it ended. It's so uh-huh. funny when I say that, but we were happily married. But right. about six months in, I found a bunch of the pornography, just stumbled upon it. Uh-huh. It's all gay porn. Uh-huh. And so at that point, I'm like, okay, we have another issue here. Like he's he's gay. And he didn't even come to terms with that for a long time. And once he did, we talked about it openly. We continued forward. We were both happy. He didn't want to leave. He wanted to stay in the church. Um, and I, I went forward knowing that it was a good 
possibility that our marriage would end, that huh. he would choose this at some point, that he would leave to go explore this side of himself because it's a big part of who he is. Uh-huh. Uh, and that is ultimately what happened. Um, so so do you think you stuck around? Are you are you a fixer type person or are you just like, uh, was it like, oh, I just, you know, I love him. He's my best friend. And that and that component of it doesn't need to be there or that. I think that's a hard decision what you've made. And, and so yeah. I just want to know why you made that decision, do you think? It's interesting because I don't feel like we lost any part of our marriage in him being gay. Uh-huh. We still had a great sex life. We still were best friends for sure. Uh-huh. Um, and there was this opportunity to support this person in a way that I knew he wasn't going to get support from somebody else because mm. he was so scared of coming out and whether he would be loved and accepted. Um, all of these things that people are scared of when they come out. And I knew I could be there for him and support him through that in whatever it looked like. And that I was strong enough. I knew who I was. I was okay in my, in my own being to be able to show up for him and support him. And so we just, we were happy. We stayed together. We had a good time. We made the most of it. We did have a daughter uh, about five years into our marriage. Was that yeah. a was that a planned thing? Sorry if I if that's yes. an overstep. That was okay. Yeah, and we had been trying like for probably four and a half years. Mm. I think we started trying like six months in, and just wasn't in the cards until that point. Um, yeah, so about five years in, we had her, and and that's been I think a huge blessing for him, as he has come out, and it just keeps him grounded and gives him somebody else to you know to live for. <laughs> So, so. What, so what is that conversation like when you, you discover the pornography? And I think that in and of itself, right, maybe that is helping you understand the depth of the amount or the, you know, the consuming of it. But then also that addition to knowing that it's, you know, gay or uh, pornography, like how how do you then have that conversation? Like, so like, <laughs> like, what? How, do, how does that happen? Basically how it went down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so at the first time I found all of this gay porn, I, he was at work and he came home and he could tell I wasn't okay. And yeah. I'm trying to stay put together because I don't want to just make him feel bad. I want to be able to have a conversation and not just shut him down. And I, but of course I'm crying and I'm like, I found all this gay pornography and are you gay? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't, there's really no other explanation for it. And he, at that point, and he says this, if, he said that at that point I had never, he had never let himself think he was gay. Hmm. Like he had never even let the words come in to his mind because he just was in such denial and it just wasn't what you did. It wasn't a lifestyle that he was wanting. Uh-huh. And so he had just pushed it down and suppressed it so deeply. And he, he had convinced himself that he was looking at gay porn because he didn't want to disrespect women that you are taught to respect women. So if he's just looking at men, it's not as bad. He's not being disrespectful to women. Hmm. Hmm. That's kind of how he had justified it to himself for years. Sure. And at that point he's still in denial. Like he's still complete denial. And then he was going to a counselor about a year later. Counselor's like, sure. The pornography is an issue, but the real issue is, is that you're gay. (laughs) And at that point he was like, Oh, oh, okay. And kind of started yeah. to accept it. You know, a lot of people are telling me this. <laughs> Help me. But my wife. Yeah, my wife, my <laughs> therapist. Here here's an interesting thing though. Uh and I and I think it's worth um sort of highlighting as far as this story goes. The idea not only of that justification that that he took as far as that goes, um, uh, but also just the need because as you mentioned, active member of the church didn't want to, you know, didn't want to be that, right? A sort of a self-denial yeah. of, of, of what he was. It's got to be anything but what is so very obvious, the answer. Yeah. You know, yeah. To, to, to the extent of, you know, justifying this way around porn, to, you know, being married to a woman, to not yeah. until the counselor says, hey, you're gay, you know, really being able to, I, I think it's, uh, I think that it's worth probably... <laughs> Uh, uh, on some level focusing um yeah why that why that would be within the church and i don't know if now is the time yeah. or the place necessarily um but 
I think that it, it it is a valuable conversation to be had. Oh, for sure. And I feel that so so I have the feelings that you can be an active member of the church and still be gay. Mm-hmm. Like it's my feeling that it works. I know a lot of people now because of this experience that do that. Uh-huh. And it's it and the choice isn't whether or not you're gay. It, the choice is, you know, what type of how you're going to live within that knowledge. Right. I'm not saying you should get married. I'm not saying whatever. I mean, to the opposite sex, if you're not attracted to the opposite sex, right. I'm, I just feel like you can live a life you want to live, mm-hmm. uh, dependent on that. And I feel like if you can let go of what people think in general, not just within the church, but let go of what everybody else is saying and focus in on what it is you want, because right. that's what you have to understand in any situation of how you're going to live your life is what is it that I really want? What is it that I believe and feel so that I can show up in the best way possible, whether I'm in the church or out of the church or whatever? Um, yeah. I, I, an, I think that's a tremendous lesson. I mean, even like same-sex attraction or anything that aside, right? I think at the end, yeah. we die. God isn't like, hey, you know, people were telling you to lead your life a little differently than you led it. So I think I'm really yeah. going to keep you accountable to that. I don't think that's how that goes. I don't either. Yeah, I don't either. I think he is more loving than we understand and more more forgiving than we can comprehend. But at some point, um, that for you, for your marital relationships becomes too much to handle. Yeah. So we had a really good thing going. We had lived a bunch of different places and the main place we lived in in Colorado Springs for like the last year and a half of our marriage, really we're in a great place. We're going to support groups. Steve's going to several support groups. He's going to an LDS counselor in the church. That's like a very well-known counselor for people who struggle with any sex issues. And we're just in a good place. And then Steve gets offered this job in Oklahoma Mm -hmm. and we decide to take it. And I know in, in this move, it just feels like heavy. Like I know something big is coming. Yeah. And we move there and the marriage just trickles apart. Like there's just too much for him without all of the support systems in place and what we had had. And he ended up having an affair and we even tried to work through that for a while. And it just was a mess. We were a mess. <laughs> so it, it, it's a lot of weight. It's interesting. I think anyone who's been divorced, uh, I have that a great pleasure to be a part of that club uh, as well. But also we're a part of the remarried and happy club. Go us. Um, It's interesting how much um, as members of the church or maybe just as people in general, like we can be like, Oh, okay, this is happening. All right. We can be okay. Oh, all right. This happened. All right. We got this, you know, we just, we're just going to circle the wagons. Oh, okay. This happened. And then at some point there is just that thing where you're like, you know, I'm, I'm exhausted now. I'm not, I'm yeah. not, I'm not showing up in the way that I want to. This isn't providing the benefits in the way that it should. Both of us would be better separate than together. And I think for a lot of members of the church, especially with the doctrine of like being married eternally, I think that's really hard to come to grips with. Oh, it's very hard to come to grips with. And the other thing that I really just struggled with was seeing other people's divorces and how divorce was supposed to look because what do you I mean? only what do you mean? supposed to look like this version of divorce where you can't be in the same room, your kids, you know, if you see each other, you're fighting. Um, you send horrible text messages full of vitriol yes. and hate. I never did that. <laughs> just, yeah, just those things of you can't like your daughter's birthday is messed up and your mm-hmm. kids, you know, weddings, they feel uncomfortable because mom and dad are both going to be there. And that was where my issues really came in. I was like, okay, I understood that divorce might be a part of my life, but I don't want this version of divorce to be a part of my life. I do not want this for myself or for my daughter or for Steve. I don't want it for any of us. Mm -hmm. And so that was where I really had to change my thinking about divorce and realize I've done this my whole life of live the life I want to live and show up how I want to show up. Why is this any different? Hmm. It's not. And so Steve and I had a lot of conversations. I said, it's fine. If you leave me, that's fine. Like I knew this was a possibility. I can't (laughs) deny that, like Mm -hmm. hold you completely accountable for you leaving. 
So, but this is how it's going to look. I said, we, we are going to create this, <laughs> this type of relationship. And he came back at it as just like, so grateful of thank you. I appreciate this. I really want to make this work too. Like, how I how want... is it going to look? You gave him specifics. How is it going to look? Yeah. So we talked a lot about how our divorce was going to look. And I think that really was helpful for us in the beginning of, I said, I, I'm not going to be the parents that drop the kid off at school. And then the other parent has to pick them up. Like that's not happening. I really want to be able to do birthdays and holidays together anytime we can. Like if it works, I want to do it together. I want to be able to be friends and to be, communicate. Um, and we talked about how, you know, going forward with her being raised in the church. And I said, you know, this is big thing to me. I don't know if you're going to stay in the church or leave. And he wasn't sure at that point either what that looked like for him. Right. And, and so we just, and he's, he said from day one, he's like, listen, as long as what it's what Penny wants to be in the church, then he's like, I'm never going to take that from her. If right. she actively wants to be in the church, then that's not something I will ever deny her. He's like, I want her to live her life, how she feels called to live it. He's like, and just like, I want to be able to live mine. And just I like you would, and just how, how you would want him to be able to lead, lead his life and just how, you know, exactly. ultimately you'd like your daughter to lead her life, to lead it according yes. to the dictation of her own conscience, for sure. Yeah. Whatever speaks to her. And, and we've made that very clear to her. I mean, she's being raised actively in the church. She's baptized at this point and all of those things. But at the same time, she lives half the time with a gay dad who is not in the church and who drinks and who does all those things, but yet she gets to see how we love and support each other and show up for each other. And yeah. And I think it's, she's going to be pretty well-rounded <laughs> and understanding that she can live the life she wants to live. She's so, going to be loved no matter what. So in addition to like, okay, I want to be able to spend holidays and I'm, we're not doing the separate like drop off and pick up. What were other sort of boundaries or guidelines that you set up that helped you have a successful air quotes uh, divorce. I think, I think that's the real value for a lot of people that are listening. If they're finding themselves in this situation, like there isn't, there isn't a, a, a rule book. There isn't uh there's plenty of books that they'll try and sell you. I'll tell you what, yes. but, uh, there, there isn't a, a, a line by line. This is how it should do. No. But I think, I think it is a great thing to be able to hear other things that you did that we can go, Oh, is that something that I could apply in this situation yes. that I'm in? So what else you got? So really, you need to open yourself to being up to be uncomfortable. Like you have to open up this idea of I am going to be in a lot of uncomfortable situations and I need to experience those and see how I feel to know if it's really something I can or can't do. I think that often we make this assumption that no, this situation is not going to work for me. No, I cannot be around him. I cannot whatever. But really, when you kind of put yourself in that situation and just allow yourself to be and feel what you actually feel, you can do a lot more than you think you could. Like what? Give, me an, give me an idea of, a, of an awkward situation that you're like, OK, I'm leaning into this. Let's do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> OK, so as Steve and I are getting divorced, we're in the process. We're separated. I'm living in Idaho. He's living in Oklahoma. And he's flying home for Christmas to go see his family. Mm -hmm. And he is like scared to death to go be with his family. It's the first time he's seen them since he's come out. Things are very rocky. And he's just like, I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm really freaked out about the super stress. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll be in Salt Lake, flying to Salt Lake. I'll drive up with you to Idaho Falls and stay the few days at your family's house with you. And this is extreme. Like this is not for everybody, Yeah, but know thyself, I, so, I think is the yes, thing that you know would say. yourself. Yeah. Yes. So I went and stayed with them for a few days and had Christmas with Steve's family. And our divorce was finalized during that time, like officially ended and everything. It was kind of crazy. Um, we also had family pictures done during that week because I really wanted Penny to have good family pictures so that she knew like we loved each other and were there for each other. Mm -hmm. And that was really important. But things like that, that, you know, it is kind of weird, but think about like, I love that she has these pictures of us when we were technically a family and I still consider us a family, but just be open to like hearing like, I know a lot of people struggle when their exes start dating. Right. And I am of the mindset that the more I know, 
the more educated opinions I can make. So I always, you know, we, it's an open conversation and it has been from day one with, even with the guy he had the affair with, Mm. I wanted to know who he was because I knew the relationship was going to continue. And if my daughter was going to be around him, I wanted to create a safe space for Steve to share. And I also wanted to know if I was comfortable with my daughter going to be around this person. And so I had to trust Steve to, I had to show that I trusted his, his actions and his decisions. Um, you have to show that trust and get uncomfortable in how you're showing that trust because no, you don't want somebody else coming into your kid's life, but it's going to happen because you're divorced. It's just part of the game. So get uncomfortable with getting to know who that person is of asking your ex questions, not like interrogating, but honest questions. And if they're happy, then that's the main thing that you want is you want your ex to be happy because then they show up better for your kid because they're happy. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to think, show respect, just be respectful and be willing to let go of the little things. Like don't get hung up on little things, let them go and be graceful to the other person because it comes, ideally it comes back around. And we have found, so I should say, we have two extremes of relationships here with my ex and with my husband's ex. Matt's ex, my husband's ex. Your um, current husband, to be clear. My current husband, Matt. We have the complete extreme opposite situation where we don't approach each other's cars. She doesn't come to our house. She is not welcome. You know, like we don't, Matt, very limited phone conversations. Um, Ideally, everything is done through email. And if he is going to have a phone conversation, he needs to know what it is about before the phone conversation starts. I mean, just very boundary set. Um, and and it's, it's so we know that this does not happen on both sides. Right, but right. Because we can't have it on this side, we are way more open to encouraging and supporting and appreciating this relationship on the other side. And there's another thing, show appreciation for the ways that your ex is willing to show up, show appreciation for all of the little things they do for giving you grace for all these things. I mean, even still, I know Steve appreciates, you know, when I, when I'm flexible on the schedule or when something comes up and he needs to take penny or whatever it is, or if he's just not feeling good that night and needs a break that I take her or vice versa, showing appreciation it makes such a huge difference. We are still very good. We don't take it for granted that we have this relationship, like keep making an effort no matter what, just as if you were married, you got to keep making an effort in any relationship to keep the relationship healthy. Do you feel like you would make uh, the strides or the effort if there weren't children involved? Uh, I, I don't think we would have much of a relationship. I think I would have helped him initially to, you know, find himself because he was suicidal during that time after we got divorced, because it was just so much to take as many people coming out are. And so I think that I guess I would have been there to support him and to help him, but I'm sure it would have fizzled some because it's just not, it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, It wouldn't have been necessary for us to keep that. So Uh, another component of it too, is obviously your current husband has to have some level of of comfortability with it because here is a person that you were married to for seven years and you're like, no chums doing the best I can to make sure that this is the best (laughs) relationship possible. And some, and some, uh, men and some women to, you know, be completely frank would be like, no, absolutely not. You are not helping calling, you know, being flexible, all of those things. How, how, how did he do that? And what conversations did you have to have uh, with him as you started both courting and then eventually, uh, getting married, like how did you set the boundaries with a new husband? So that took some time to figure out what those boundaries were for sure. And yeah. there were lots of mess ups along the way of Steve and I realizing, okay, we got it. We really have to step our relationship back um, to be respectful to Matt mm-hmm. and show him the respect he deserves. And especially, I think that was hard for Steve to realize, oh yeah, this is my ex-wife yeah. and it's not okay for me to like, ask her out to go do something just the two of us anymore. Like that's not okay. Um, So different things like that definitely came up. And Matt talks a lot about the fact that he had to get himself uncomfortable. He's like, I remember the first mother's day uh, after we were married and Steve was invited to dinner 
And I called my mom and I'm like, mom, this is weird. And and we were very comfortable at that point anyways. Like we've done Christmas together, but he's like, it just seems like not necessary. And his mom just told him, listen, you don't know how you're really going to feel until you experience, So just go through it. And Jessica's open to you coming back and saying, Hey, I wasn't okay. This isn't okay. And, and I respect that. If he says, Hey, this situation is not okay. 100%. That's fine. Like I will respect that. Just mm-hmm. tell me I that's fine. Um, and so I think that's very important too. like <laughs> listening to what your spouse is saying that Hey, I'm really not okay with this. Is there another way we can approach it? Is there something else we can do differently? But in that situation, Matt, like he was like, okay, he took his mom's advice. He sat through it. And he's like, the thought I kept having at dinner was if Steve wasn't here with us, he would be by himself. He doesn't have family in town and he has friends, but you know, on holidays, it's very family oriented. He's like, if he's not with us on holidays, then he's just on his own. And he's like, and I don't want Steve to be on his own. Like I care about Steve and I want him to be happy and to feel loved. And, uh, so I think that was a big turning point for Matt to just be like, and he was already great about it, but just to be another level of, okay, this is, this is what I want to, this is what I am okay with as well, because he is a part of our family. I always say Steve's like a brother now, Uh not attracted to him at all, brother that I'm raising a kid with, but I, I care about him that much. Like he is that important to me. I, I, uh, it, it's worth, and I'm sure that you know, but as I hear you talk about Matt, that is a big person that, that not everyone would be like. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we had, I always say remarriage was way harder than our divorce. Like this, getting remarried was just a mess. And, um, I, what kept me through a lot of it was just the understanding that first of all, this guy was very strong in the church. And I, that was very attractive to me. He was an amazing man, like just the confidence that he had to allow, like to support this relationship, not that he allowed it, but to support it Mm -hmm. was so huge. And that was one of the things when we were first married, my sister-in-law kept reminding me of is He's showing you love by supporting this relationship with Steve that most people could not handle. Most people would not be okay um, showing up in this. And he also got it because he saw how hard it was to not have this relationship with your ex. So I think it just made him more open to understanding and accepting it because he understood it benefited him just as much as it benefits Steve and I and Penny. So I want to take another break right here. When we come back, I want to talk about pain. And I also want to talk about making mistakes. So maybe a a fairly heavy uh, third block of the cultural hall. Hey, this is Dan, the laptop man from PC Laptops. Friends, I know a lot of you guys and girls are working from home. So here's some tips for making sure your computer is ready for working at home. Because if your computer fails, it's going to be really hard to get it fixed because of dwindling supply and parts. But we have parts right now and we have a limited supply of new computers available for you. Make sure your computer is healthy and virus and malware free. Hackers are trying to infect people and stealing their information during these challenging times. We'll scan the health of your computer for viruses and malware, plus scan your hard drive, memory, and components to make sure you don't have any failing parts. You want to make sure you have strong antivirus and malware protection software as well. Just get into any PC laptops and we'll check your hardware and your software and scan your computer for viruses for absolutely free. Just go to PCLaptops.com. At PC Laptops, we've been serving you for over 28 years, and we've got your back during these times of need. We're all in this together. So just go to PCLaptops.com, and we'll get you taken care of. It's time for the third block of the Cultural Hall. I'm hoping that you'll go to KimuraTours.org and join us next summer as we do a church history tour. It is the final year of the Hill Kimura pageant. It was supposed to be 2020, but, you know, COVID, all that fun stuff. Uh, so they push it out. They're going to be 2021, put it on your calendar, put it, uh, with a, an empty box next to it on your bucket list, and then look forward to checking that off so that you can be with us. It's a nine day church history tour. You can go to KimuraTours.org to find out cost and availability, and you can join with us and the folks from the leading saints podcast. Kurt and the uh, boys and girls from over there will be joining us as well. A great experience, especially uh, if you know anything about me, you know anything about the Cultural Hall. We love church history. It's going to be a great uh, hands-on experience as we dive through church history. Uh, KimuraTours.org. Jessica, uh, I, I appreciate the way that you speak about 
both your first marriage and then the subsequent divorce, but I have to know that there is pain along the way. And so I want to know how you're able to deal with that because the way I was able to deal with it was a whole lot of anger at God. So I would be curious as to another person's (laughs) experience. (laughs) I think I might've had the opposite experience of you then (laughs) in dealing with pain. Um, I have this firm belief that as long as I'm trying to do my best and there's no perfection in that whatsoever, but just doing what I can and feel what and doing what I feel called to do, that my life has a purpose and a plan. And the more angry and bitter I get, the less I am able to fulfill and move forward in that plan. So there were of course, moments of anger and pain and, and especially pain, I would say not so much anger, but just heartache and sorrow and grieving the life that I thought I would have. And that came in stages. I mean, I had to grieve the life I thought I'd had when he told me about the pornography. And then again, when I found out he was gay and then again, you know, all these subsequent times throughout our marriage, um, realizing I'm not going to have more kids and that that's not in the cards and all these things, we have to mourn and feel the pain of those things. That is so important. But when we can recognize that the power of the atonement is not just for the mistakes we make, but it is truly, and this is where the power of it is for me personally, Mm -hmm. in being able to let go of the pain and anger and hurt that we feel because that has already, the cost has been paid. Mm I, um, in the last probably four or five years of my life, really have come to understand and accept the idea that we have to forgive everybody. And (laughs) I always like, I always accepted that, but I didn't understand it because I thought, okay, here we're called to understand and accept or forgive everybody when God is only required to forgive those whom he will forgive. Hmm. And then I was like, why is that? And I realized it's like, it's because it's easier. It's easier for me to let go of this. It's easier for me to forgive and to release the pain. That doesn't mean that I don't set boundaries. That does not mean that I don't protect my heart and myself still, mm-hmm. but I don't have to hold on to it. I can let it go and literally, you know, heal from that because of the atonement, because that power has been, it's been done. He's going to take care of that. I don't have to deal with it. So there was a lot of, you know, I felt all those things for sure. And, it, and yeah, there were plenty of nights spent crying and just going through what was going on, you know, reliving how could it have been different and but ultimately coming to the conclusion that it's not different. <laughs> it is what it is. And there's no point ever asking why it happened to me, but instead understanding now, what can I do with this? Hmm. What can I take from this to understand about myself, to understand about this person that I'm going through it with? And how can I help other people by having experienced these things? So it was really an empowering experience overall to have gone through all of this. Um, and it's funny because I don't think of it a lot of times as something that I went through or, you know, I mean, I made the choices that have led me to this point. Um, I know there are a lot of people that things are just inflicted upon them, but I, I honestly feel like these were my decisions as well. Yeah, I didn't decide for Steve to go have an affair or whatever, but I stayed married to a man that was gay, knowing that was probably a real possibility. I read lots of books. I did lots of studying. I knew what this would look like. And even going into my second marriage, I feel like there was a lot that, you know, I made the decision to get remarried. And honestly, that's where most of my pain came from was in the second marriage, just because Matt was dealing with so many issues that were from his first marriage that he did not know how to show up in a marriage and a relationship. And it was very damaging through those first two years. Um, But again, I just had to to keep telling myself, this isn't about me. It feels very much about me and he's directing it towards me, but I know we can make it through this and find the good that I know this man is because there's so much that I could still see that was good and wonderful about him and good about our relationship. That really helped me get through. So I, I think that uh, you queued up a, a little bit ago, something I'd like to ask you about that I don't feel like we do a great job with within the church. And I know we only have a couple more minutes left with you, but the ability to feel free to make mistakes sort of runs yes. askew from doctrine of the, the church, maybe, 
or maybe our understanding of the doctrine of the church. So how how are you able to to feel comfortable to lean into the fact that you'll make the mistakes and then be able to learn from it and and how has it impacted and affected your relationships? All of them. So I think you're exactly right that in the church often, I think we interpret it as we shouldn't make mistakes. We can't make mistakes. We need to be this person that we're taught to be. And if you, you can't mess up along the way. Be ye therefore perfect, Jessica. (laughs) But we're not sent here to be perfect. That is the whole point. And that's the beauty of this life is we are sent here to make mistakes how we deal with those and how we show up afterwards is, is where the test is, is where we need to understand and love ourselves, but we're not meant to be perfect. Just like our kids are not perfect and we still love them. Heavenly father did not expect us to be perfect. He just wants to see that we're trying and that we're living the best we can, that we are finding what it is that is in us that makes us happy. My daughter at two decided she was going to swim and she is obsessed with swimming. She loves it. And I love watching her do that because it just sets her on fire and therefore it makes me so excited and happy for her. And I just feel like that is what Heavenly Father is doing. He is watching us find ourselves through our mistakes, through our mess ups, because if we don't make mistakes, we're never going to find what makes us happy. Mm. If we're not willing to try and put ourselves out there, we don't find what it is that sets us on fire. And so we're going to mess up. We're going to struggle along the way. But man, when we find those things, he is up there like, yes, you did it. You found that thing. And I just like, that's what's, that's the point of the gospel. That's what heavenly father is like. What I believe he is like is just up there cheering us on. And um, when we start really allowing ourselves to feel that and let go of the guilt and the shame and the things that we put on ourselves, that is when we flourish and can show up in the way that Heavenly Father really wants us to show up because we can we can hear him speaking to us in a more powerful way because we've let go of those things that he doesn't intend us to, to live our lives full of guilt and shame. That's not his intention. His intention is for us to, yes, you, yes, some level of guilt is, is good. Like understanding that, oh, that wasn't okay. Like that's appropriate. But then we have, we need to let that go so that we can live our best life. One of the things that I love about how uh, the interviews that we do here in the cultural hall kind of go is that they're narrative and typically chronological because it allows you the opportunity to look back kind of in time and be like, oh, well, with today's eyes, I'm able to see how this was this and that was that. And for people that may be on similar journeys, but not as far in their journey, uh, your story certainly provides a a great deal of hope uh, to them. And that that is something that I hope has rung through uh, through this episode. Let me ask you, where are you today? Not physically. I don't care so much, although I am curious now that I've said that out loud. But (laughs) but where 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 is life today? So physically, I'm in a hotel room right now. Okay. well, (laughs) I uh, I decided to take a couple days for myself. I'm less than a mile from my house. <laughs> really? I told Matt, I said, I need a couple days to catch up on work stuff and to not have to worry about fixing anybody dinner or lunch or breakfast or doing any of the things. I don't want to look at the housework. I don't want to, I just need to go away and refocus and take some time. So yeah. And, and that's where I am at emotionally too, is just that it's okay to create space for myself in my life. And that as I do so, I go back to my life. And sometimes that's 30 minutes. Sometimes that's a couple hours. Sometimes this is the first time I've actually checked myself into a hotel room by myself, but (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm going to do it again. It's been amazing. But when you create that space, I show up better in my life. And so I'm a firm believer that we need to take care of ourselves first. And I, I go back to the commandment, love thy neighbor as thyself. You have to love yourself before you can love others to the fullest. Mm. And I, I firmly believe that, that that is why that commandment is stated that way, that love your neighbor as yourself. You need to love yourself and take care of yourself before you can show up the best way possible for everybody else in your life. But yeah, I, Matt and I are in a great place, the best we've ever been. Um, and I would say Steve and I and Matt as well. There's <laughs> We've been doing this podcast for the last year, and it has really brought us even closer together. There's more understanding and um, 
just love and acceptance within our marriage or relationship in my marriage. And then also in the relationship with my ex, because we've shared and experienced and, and um, Matt and Steve both understand each other better at this point. You know, we, we do basically every holiday together and I am so happy. I've always, I've, I've been happy my whole life. Like I'm just a happy person but there is a contentment and peace that has, you know, grown and gets stronger. And I think that's such a great thing. I, I'm grateful I've had that for my, for my life, even through these hard things, but it just gets better all the time. And, and I believe that comes from listening and acting on what you feel called to do in this life. Uh, <clears throat> I've toyed a lot lately with the idea of callings in church, and I feel like it's just as important if you're going to do your calling in church to also listen to what it is you feel called to do within you, because if you know, the calling I feel like is sometimes because we just need to know what to do in the church. Like there needs to be this program and those things need to get done, but it's, it's a greater thing when you can also recognize the calling that's in you to show up in your life. And that may be, you know, being the best mom you can, that might be going and doing a podcast. It might be whatever it is to you that speaks to you acting on those things and having the courage to do them. Likely because we queued this up as sort of an episode about a divorce, maybe that there are those people that are listening or people who just, for whatever reason, look no further than the front of the newspaper that someone could feel hopeless. Speak, speak just quickly to, to those that find themselves without hope. What would you, what would you say to them? There's always hope. Things are going to get better. And I know that's just like a common phrase but there is joy and peace in the suffering. Like you can find that as well. Um, they go hand in hand. Like we cannot experience these great moments of peace and contentment in your life without experiencing the pain and the hurt. And I believe like right now we are in this lull of mundane everyday life. And Matt and I are both just like excited about it. <laughs> when people ask us what's going on and I'm like nothing. Yeah. And Sets me on fire because I feel like that is when we come to understand the joy in life is when we can recognize that these moments of having like nothing really going on. But if you can find joy and happiness in those moments of just appreciating that you get this time to enjoy everyday life, um, that's when joy comes because it is everyday life. Like you have to, it's just how we show up every day of finding that. Like don't don't negate the importance of, of those days. Um, don't wait until, you know, someday to be happy because you can find happiness now. It's, it's there waiting for you. It's hard, cre but you can create those moments of happiness and joy in your life um, along the way. The podcast that you mentioned, it's called Husband-in-Law. People can find it where they find the cultural hall, whatever their app is, whatever their engagement point is. Uh, but check it out. Uh, give people an idea of what they would hear in an average episode of Husband-in-Law. So we have gone through and detailed in like great detail um, our whole story of love, marriage, divorce coming out. Um, Steve and I date again after our divorce. Like there's just all of these weird moments and we just share it all. Like everything is on the table and it's me and my ex-husband and my husband. So you kind of get this unique view of us asking each other questions <laughs> about <laughs> each other's relationships that are kind of awkward sometimes, but super fun to listen to. So, and we try to share, we bring in other people occasionally just to share things that go along with our story, um, people who've experienced different things, but it really is just an in-depth storyline of our lives and what we've been through. And we have found that it creates a lot of connection for people to feel like they're not alone. We uh, get to that point in the episode where we ask the three questions. So here they come, Jessica. The first question is, is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? I actually have three callings right now. Okay. <laughs> so I am um, on the Compassionate Service Committee and I am a Sunday school teacher and I am the stake humanitarian lead. Well, yeah, that sounds exhausting. <laughs> Not much has been going on lately, ironically enough. So I have still been teaching Sunday school through all of this. And then when they need me for the other things, I, I show up. But yeah. If you could pick a calling, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Oh, man. Um, I mean, honestly, 
if I could do anything in the church, make up calling, I would love to be a traveling speaker. So maybe high council. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But however that looks for a woman in the church, like I would love to go around teaching and showing up at, you know, early society activities to be able to talk to people and spread hope of, you know, you can make it through these things and how to do that better, to teach people how they can do those things better, to show up better in hard situations. The last question is up for interpretation for however you interpret it. Uh, The question is, what is your favorite part of your faith? Favorite part of my faith. My favorite part is the peace and comfort it brings to my life. Knowing that I can let go, like we were talking about, of the pain and the hurt and guilt, shame, all of those things. I can let go of those and find joy in, in what I've been given. The name of the podcast is Husband-in-Law, my guest, Jessica Frew. Check it out. Listen, follow, subscribe, all the things she would love for you to do that. And I've loved the conversation we've had. I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat On the back row, we really gotta go On the Culture Hall Show